Welcome into the show, everybody. It is episode 37, season 8, here on Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. And in a couple of days from now, we will have the NBA Finals beginning game one in the Chase Center out in San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area, wherever you want to call it, wherever it is, that is where they are going to be starting the NBA Finals for the 2022 season. And it is the first time we have had an NBA Finals at the beginning of June since 2019. And ironically, the last five NBA Finals prior to this one had the Golden State Warriors associated with an NBA Finals in June. Isn't that wild to think about? So obviously, 2020, the NBA Finals were in September, October, around that time. And then you had the NBA Finals in July last year. So we are now back to complete normalcy in regards to the scheduled layout for the NBA. And we are now officially at a point where we can say that everything is back to the way it should be. And I wanted to hit upon that in this episode regarding the interesting dynamic that happened in the Eastern Conference Finals. Obviously, you saw the Boston Celtics win the series in seven, winning it in really a pretty, I would say, not one of the greatest Game 7s we've ever seen, but considering how that series played out, that Game 7 was pretty good. I mean, you can't you can't really knock how that game played out. Obviously, it was a, you know, there was a blowout for most of it, but how it finished and how it came down the the the, the stretch in the fourth quarter and the fight that Jimmy Butler put up and I know everyone's debating on the shot he took in the last couple seconds, you know, the last 20 seconds, but it's one of those things where when you play 48 minutes and you know that you probably can't put together another five and you know that you probably won't be able to do it even though your team was down 10. I don't blame him. And on top of that, he gave it his all. Game six, he was absolutely miraculous. Very, very eerily reminiscent of a game six 2012 Eastern Conference Finals put up by LeBron. Very, very similar. And in a very interesting, different light as well. Down 3-2, had to go to Boston, tie it up. And did it in really kind of monkey, you know, on his back. Backpack on his back. Get the monkey off your back mentality. That was what Jimmy Butler did. It was miraculous what he did in Game 6. Game 7, he also played fantastic. Everybody's judging him based on those last 30 seconds. But in all reality, he did a miraculous job. And I can't really blame him for the shot he took. I get it. Um, Could it have been a better option? Sure. Could he have just taken it to the hole or, you know, waited at half court and let the clock run down so they could get a final shot? Sure, absolutely, 100%. But it, it played out the way it played out, and the Boston Celtics are going to the NBA Finals for the first time in 12 years since 2012, or excuse me, since 2010. And the Golden State Warriors have gone to six of the last NBA championships, which is absolutely incredible. They're they're in the conversation now for the what the Bulls did in the 90s. They're in the conversation for what the Spurs did from the, basically 99 to 2014. They're in the conversation for what the Lakers did in the 2000s. They're they're in uh, in the 80s. You you start listing off the all-timers, that's what they're at. And going back to my point about the helter-skelterness of the Eastern Conference Finals and 
I brought this up last year in a show, and I don't want to sound like Groundhog's Day in regards to bringing this up, but I think we've forgotten how different things look in a regularly slated playoff and how teams are when they're not prohibitive favorites. Boston, from really the turn of this calendar, has been one of the best teams in basketball, if not debatably the best team in basketball. Golden State, from pretty much Christmas on, had a lot of injuries, had a lot of alternative lineups. Clay was coming back. Uh, Draymond was out for an extended amount of time. Steph had to miss some time. Guys were hitting some walls, rookie walls. Um, guys who were stepping in and out of the lineup and not getting the play that they usually did or or the, 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 the rotational roles that they had. Very different, right? So both of these teams have come in in a very different clip. At the same time, you look at the Golden State Warriors and what they did in the playoffs, beating a, a really, really, I think, team down the, down the road here in about a year or so, could be in the NBA championship as well, and a Memphis Grizzlies team. Um, they played, they were the three seed. Who did they play? I can't, I, the first round feels like forever ago with how intense the last couple of series have been. But you look at the first round of who Boston played, Boston played Brooklyn. Then they just played the defending champs in the second round, and quite frankly, they handled them. And then they just went seven with the best team in the Eastern Conference all year long. And I think a lot of people, when they watch Boston, and it's fair to say this, the Boston Celtics are a team, when you watch them, they look like they were young and not quite prepared I think the difference, though, is that since this was a rematch from the 2020 Eastern Conference Finals in October, excuse me, in September, October of 2020, I think this team pulled some things out of its hat regarding mismatches and changes and defensive prowess that they knew that they had to address from that year and a half ago series. And when they did that in this Eastern Conference Finals, you saw them adapt and change to what they needed to do. Did they play inconsistent? Absolutely. In all three of the games they lost, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, outside of maybe one of the three, they were blowouts. They got their ass handed to them. Multiple occasions, multiple ways. But when they came to do what they needed to do to win the games that mattered, which ultimately became Game 7, they pretty much handled the Miami for the most part of the game. Finishing down the stretch was tough. Obviously, the way they brought it up, how you know they say they make it hard on themselves, not closing it out in Game Six, which they could have done and should have done. It still makes you kind of think, okay, they're about to go play a Golden State Warrior team where, and nobody on this Boston Celtics team has ever been to the finals, but this Golden State Warrior team has multiple guys who have played multiple finals games and had multiple. They know what they're doing. The Golden State at this point knows exactly what they're doing, and so from that angle and that perspective. You sit and you say, dang, Golden State should come out and absolutely rock the Boston Celtics. But I think what we forget on the helter-skelter note, again, is that teams that go through these growth and maturation periods, when they have never been somewhere before, they tend to look inconsistent and off-kilter. Look at the Milwaukee Bucks last year. Nobody thought they would get to the championship last year prior to the playoffs. Nobody thought that. I did. I guess I'm still a nobody, but nobody thought that who was a high, you know, highly touted pundit who talks about this all the time and this is all they do and this is how they make their living. They didn't think the Milwaukee Bucks would win the championship last year. I sat back and said, I think they will. They're in the perfect 
spot. Nobody thinks they're going to do what they're going to do. And they're in a great position uh, in regards to standings where you can look at them and say, wow, this is going to be a really, really, really uh, tough team to play because they're under the radar and they're really, really good. And quite frankly, they probably have the best team in basketball. And so when you look at them overall as a unit, the Golden State Warriors are, excuse me, the Boston Celtics are very, very young and inexperienced from an NBA Finals perspective, but they just went through every single opponent you would want a team to be battle-tested to get to the Finals to be. Now, here's the caveat, right? You can look at this from multiple angles. The playoffs is usually where momentum dies, right, in regards to how we look at teams what they do, how they provide, what they're doing ultimately, and how they can be seen as either rusty or too battle-tested. And the debate can be made that, I know, Boston swept Brooklyn, but Brooklyn was a really, really tough test. Yes, Boston beat Milwaukee in seven, a phenomenal series. Then Miami and Boston, that also went seven. But Golden State played the Dallas Mavericks. Let's be honest. Dallas Mavericks were not expected to go to the Western Conference Finals. I was 100% wrong on my prediction. I thought Dallas would come out and play great and make it a series. They did not. They got gentlemen swept. They got absolutely handled for a vast majority of that series. Golden State played Memphis, which was an outstanding six-game series. Like Everybody's like, oh, it was a six-game series. It still didn't go south. No, 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 no. Memphis is a very good team. Do not get that confused at all. Do not get that twisted. Memphis is a phenomenal basketball team. Golden State just won more in a shorter span. But they were all, really, for the most part, those games were all fantastic. So Memphis is a very good team. And from a battle-tested perspective, that was a great series win by the Golden State Warriors. And it's not because Memphis was ranked two. They were a phenomenal team all year long. And... Golden State then also played Denver in the first round. So the caveat comes down to an overly battle-tested, inexperienced team versus a comparatively less battle-tested, more experienced Golden State team. It's a two-different-angled-prong perspective, and I think we're so used to seeing, really, over the last seven to eight years, minus last year, minus the bubble year, We're so used to seeing, and even 2019, really the last three years, we're so used to seeing teams that have sewed it up and done it the right way and made it look good and made it all these things right to we then think, well, that's why they're winning the championship. And we can probably think that that's what Golden State's going to do right now, moving forward, that they're the team, they're the favorite because they've been here, they've done this, they know what they're doing, and that's fair to say. But the Boston Celtics over the last four, five, six months, really for this entire calendar year thus far, they have looked like the best team defensively all year, really, for the last five months. And it's hard to debate that. Miami was an unbelievable basketball team from a defensive perspective. And Boston found a way to penetrate that and make sure that they could find a way to win the games that they needed to win to get past where they needed to get past to. Again, it all comes to this point at the end of the season, down to who wins, not about how pretty it looks. And with Boston's road to the play, to the finals of where they are now, 
And with the amount of times with the squad they currently have have had over the last three to four years, they are hungry. They are ready for this. They are not just some unexperienced, have no idea what they're doing franchise in regards to getting to this level and this opportunity. How many times have they made the Eastern Conference Finals and fell short? Consistently, constantly, on a multiple-pronged basis. Golden State hasn't had that problem. Golden State, the last two years, in all actuality, really, the last three years since 2019, have been in this gigantic rebuild situation. Whether it's through injuries with Klay Thompson in the 2019 NBA Finals, whether it's Kevin Durant leaving, whether it's guys like Poole and Kevin Looney getting better, and other rookies and Andrew Wiggins jumping on board to figure out his role, which he totally has, and Steph Curry going through his injuries, and Clay and uh, Draymond Green going through the, this team has gone through the tornado of what they've needed to do to alter to get to where they need to get to. But in all actuality, if you subtract Clay. Draymond and Steph in regards to experience, and I know Andre Iguodala is there, and they've got a couple other guys, but if you subtract those three guys' experience, this in all actuality is very, very, very similar, not from an age perspective, not from a down-the-end-of-their-career perspective in this ideology, but if you really break it down, this is very, very similar to the 2014 San Antonio Spurs. And I know I'm on Spurs lead now. I get it. You're all, well, you got to compare to the Spurs somehow. No, 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 no. This is very San Antonio Spurs-like 2017 or 2014 edition. We came into 2013, and I thought that was the last chance for us. When we lost to the Heat in 2013, I thought that was it. I frankly thought it was over. And I think a lot of people thought that when Kevin Durant left the Warriors and Clay got hurt, in the 2019 finals and Steph then got hurt in 2020 and Draymond got hurt this past, you know, really this past season for vast majority of it. I think a lot of people thought that the Warriors were still a very good team this year. I don't think a lot of people thought that they could get past the Memphis Grizzlies or the Phoenix Suns in back-to-back series. They caught a little bit of a break with Dallas playing absolutely phenomenal basketball in the second round of the playoffs and Phoenix really standing no chance. But let's just be 100% honest. Golden State caught a break in this regard. They played a team that wasn't expected to be there. That's not to say Dallas is a bad team. Dallas is a very, very good basketball team. They showed some things this year where if they carried it over into next year, they might be in the conversation for a finals contention. They might get to a top four spot again because they have figured out how to play with Luka in a way that is championship quality. That's not just saying that because they got to the East Western Conference Finals. No, no, no. They play the way they played against Phoenix all of next year. They might win 60 games, and that's not being overdramatic. That's being realistic. They have a squad, and it is scary. And Golden State made them look kind of foolish for the vast majority of that series. And that says something. So, however which way you want to look at it, and however which way you want to pull the angles from, neither of these teams, Boston nor Golden State, have pulled the angles that they have pulled, whether it's in the playoffs or whether it's through this last season or the last three years. They have not done this in a pretty manner. And everybody's going to assume that Golden State's the favorite to win the championship, which they should be. They really should be. They're the better-seeded team. They've got the home court advantage. Um, they've got the experience, they've got everything riding their way. But sometimes when you're a team like the Boston Celtics, who, when they walked into the playoffs 
were underdogs to Brooklyn. When they walked into the second round against Milwaukee, they were in the underdogs. When they walked into against a, a team like Miami, where outside of the fact that the first two series they had home court advantage, even though they played Miami, they were slight underdogs just because they weren't the one seed, right? So if you really break it down, and I think Boston actually was a favorite in the series, if I'm not mistaken, but from a seeding perspective, they weren't seeded as the, the, the more favorited team because they didn't have home court in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that makes a ton of sense. But overall, every single series, if you really pull from whatever angle you want to pull from, they didn't have very many things going for them. So many people picked Brooklyn. I picked Milwaukee. I thought Milwaukee would handle Boston. And also, I mean, I thought it would be a good series, but I thought they would beat them since it was Milwaukee's the defending champs. I thought they would play Miami and the coaching would get get the best of them. Their defense travels. Their defense can go anywhere. The only question I think everybody has and as to why Boston may have struggles with Golden State outside of all the obvious things I mentioned is that they're inconsistent. That's the biggest question. You cannot play inconsistent with the Golden State Warriors. Period. You can't. You can't do that. If you do, you're going to get run, and you're going to get, your, your, frankly, your butt beat so bad that you're not going to know what happened. And with the way that they're currently playing the Golden State Warriors, you can pretty much count on the fact that they are not going to mess around. These are, this is a very legacy-stapling series for the Golden State Warriors Big Three. If they win this NBA Finals, this will prove to everybody that what they did in 26, excuse me, 2017 and 2018 when they had KD wasn't because strictly because of KD. This will be the entire caramelization of the conversation piece around the historical relevance of the big three in Golden State. It will be. And it will be a complete and utter overall glue put together conversation piece of are they really one of the greatest trios in NBA history and I think if they beat this Boston Celtics team and they do it after the last three years of what they've had to go through overall having to come back from everything they've had to come back from it's very very and I hate to bring the word up because his name should be brought up in this series a lot it's very Kobe Bryant when the when the Lakers went to the finals in 2004 and they got their butt kicked by De- by Detroit, kind of like when Golden State lost to Toronto, because they got their butt kicked. Different perspective, different ideology, different rationale for why. Injuries for Golden State, honestly, matchup problems for, for, um, for the Lakers. And obviously, I think back then, the way defense was played for Detroit, but also Detroit was just a bad bunch of dudes. They were just a badass team. Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, Rip Hamilton, and Chauncey Billups. They were an absolutely badass team. And I think they just they that the Lakers just ran into a buzzsaw and they got old fast. I don't think that happened with Golden State. I don't think they got old fast. I think it was a different perspective. But after that 0-4 team with the Lakers, they blew it up. Shaq left. Kobe was by himself from 0506, 06, 07, 07, or sorry, yeah, 0405, 0506, 0607. Kobe was by himself. 
Kobe got back to the playoffs individually, what, once? Beat the Suns in one game on that crazy elbow jumper that he made in overtime with Mike Breen. Bang! Outside of that, they didn't do jack squat. They were terrible. Very, very similar to the Golden State Warriors. And again, different perspectives. Then, in 07-08, Kobe Bryant won the MVP. They got back to the NBA Finals. And ironically, they lost to the Boston Celtics. But then the next two years after that, Kobe Bryant won back-to-back chips. The Lakers went through a different type of rebuild because they completely blew it up, and they knew in 04 that their last chance was with the Big Four. Gary Payton, Carl Malone, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kobe Bryant. They knew that that was really the last hurrah with Shaq and Kobe on top of knowing that Carl Malone and Gary Payton were going to probably finish out their careers somewhere else or retire. And Gary Payton obviously went to the Heat in 06, won a chip, and then Carl Malone quickly retired. All these things occurred, right? And they completely changed, but Kobe had to do it on his own. It's very similar in this regard, but in a different manner for Golden State. 2019, they get Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant gets hurt, changes teams. Clay Thompson's hurt, and God knows how long Clay was going to be gone, which clearly was two and a half years. And then. Steph gets hurt in 2019-2020 when he's having really, you know, a really good year until he gets hurt. And then the next year, Clay, uh, Steph has an incredible April going into the playoffs when they start in May. Has an incredible April. But they don't do anything. I mean, they don't they don't they don't get anywhere. They don't they don't ultimately do much. And then you look at that 2019-2020 season, they were trash. They were absolutely garbage. Yes, they got a great draft pick, but for the most part, they weren't ready at all. And then the very next year, yeah, they got close. They definitely got close. And now they're back to the finals because they've built on it the right way. They've approached it the correct way in which you're supposed to approach finding ways to come back and defend a championship when ultimately they could have won it in 2019, but obviously injuries. And on top of that, really, Kawhi was really on a next level at that point with this, with the Raptors. And their roster overall on the Raptors was next level. So, overall, when you start to break down and look at the, cat, the, 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 the similarities of the conversation pieces of both the situations, it's very similar to what Kobe had to go through. He lost all his guys. Kevin Durant left the Golden State's big three. They lost all that ability to overcome any kind of problems that they had because Kevin Durant could just kind of cover it up with individual play. That disappeared. When you lose players like that who can cover things up, it changes your entire outlook as a franchise. And kudos to Steph, Draymond, and Clay for keeping it together and bringing that culture back to Golden State to say, this is unacceptable, we're supposed to be championship contenders every year, and we're getting back to that. And they are. Six Western Conference championships in the last eight years. Excuse me. In the last nine years. That is ridiculous. In the last nine years. I mean, if you really, last season, last nine seasons, I should say, because they missed two years. No, sorry. Eight years. Because yes, seven, eight, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Who's really counting? It doesn't matter. End of the day, they've been to six in the last decade. It's miraculous. 
And it's all based on the fact that they have put it together the right way and done it good. And Boston is coming in new, coming in where they are. And it's exciting to see them come in for the first time in 12 years. And it's a completely different roster from 12 years ago. Nobody is back for that roster. It's all new, all different. And they've gone through their own struggles. You know, I was bringing this up to a lot of people because I used to work for CLNS. And that was about seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And a lot of the frustration came around Brad Stevens and how he wasn't doing a good enough job, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. And now he left after this past year to become a front office guy. And he's still heavily involved in the organization. Well, now they're in the NBA championship. If you got a shot to win it all. And one of the kudos you got to give Brad Stevens is knowing that, hey, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I need someone else to do it for me. And that takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage as somebody with a big ego. And on top of that, their GM, when they got rid of Danny Ainge, now they've got an opportunity to really set the precedent and the tone moving forward with a superstar in Jason Tatum. He's a superstar now. You get to the NBA Finals and you do what you've done, you're a superstar. That's what he is. His ability to score off the off the dribble and do it from every single angle of the court is is superstardom. And it's it's absolutely impressive to see Jason Tatum get to where he's gotten to uh, and the development that he's put together here over the last, you know, three, four, five years, what he's done since leaving Duke. And um, he's definitely, you can make the debate, the best shooting guard in the game or small forward, whatever you want to call it. He's in that conversation. For being in that car, maybe not the best small forward. I mean, we got LeBron and a bunch of other guys. But if he's a two guard, if that's what you what you want to call him as a scoring guard, he's in that conversation for being the best one, if not the best one, from a scoring perspective, defensively, um, and that's what makes Boston so scary. I think for the most part, their defense is what has carried them every single uh, ounce of the way. So, my prediction for the NBA Finals, and it's tough. It's really, really tough because I thought, I honestly thought it was going to be Dallas-Miami. I was completely wrong. Um, I've been completely wrong since really the second round. Since the second round, going into the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals, I've been completely wrong. Uh, One of those years where everything I say, I'm just inaccurate. So if I go with the opposite mentality and I say Boston, then Golden State will probably win. But my brain says Golden State should be winning the finals because not just because they're favorites, but because of all the things that we know that they have on top of the fact that if Boston has any kind of inconsistencies in their play, they will get taken advantage of. So I want to say Golden State. And honestly, I want to say Golden State in six because I don't think this series is going seven. But something tells me that Boston defensively if they can put it together every single night defensively, they can win this series in six. I don't think that either of these teams is way more favored than the other. I think if Boston comes out and plays their game every single night, which who knows, because Golden State might have some things cooked up and with adjustments, etc., although... Boston just played Miami, and they know how to make adjustments, and they're one of the best adjustment teams in the league. Their ability to beat them, it says a lot. So I'm going to say Boston in six. I would not be shocked if Golden State came out and ran them down the court and beat them in five or four. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if it went seven. I wouldn't be shocked if Boston won in five. I got no idea. I'm going to say Boston in six because I think if they put it together every single game defensively, they can steal a game in Golden State 
They can go back home, take two. Golden State will probably win game five, and then Boston will win game six, unless they're doing the 2-3-2 format, which I don't know if they're doing that or not anymore. I don't know the, I don't know the formats. I don't know the layouts. All I know is, is I think if Boston puts it together, they can win four games, and they can make it happen in a relatively quick fashion. Not saying that they're going to stomp Golden State because that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is down the stretch of a ball game, when Golden State has made a big run, can Boston counter and find a way to slow them down defensively and make the extra effort plays to do what they can to win a ball game? And I've seen it enough times to think yes. I think also that Golden State's lack of experience off the bench is going to hurt them because I think Boston, obviously having no experience, having no pressure to win this NBA Finals, doing what they've done already through the Eastern Conference, having to play all the teams that they've had to play, which, let's be honest, are throughout the whole year, when they were healthy, Brooklyn was a top team in the league. When healthy and when Giannis was on his game, Brooklyn was a top team in the league, defending champs. Then you look at Miami, who ultimately became the number one seed, ultimately was the best team in the Eastern Conference. So they they played all of the best teams in the East, and they beat all of them, not handily, but they've battle-tested. Doing that, making that the case, playing an inexperienced second unit, Boston might have a leg up outside of the first unit. So when guys go off the court, Draymond, Clay, Steph, they might have a leg up in the second unit based on being battle-tested through the East. And that might jump into the favor of Boston moving forward through the rest of this finals. We've got game one on Thursday, game two on Sunday. We're going to recap both of those games on the next show for episode 38. And I do have some big news for you before we get off here today. Because our next episode will be on June 6th, if I'm not mistaken, because the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. It'll be on June 7th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, will be our next episode, episode 38. And I got some big news for you. The Yeah, June 7th will be the next episode. I am ending the Hooper's Log after this month, after June. Um, it has been a project of mine that I have been doing since December of 2014. And frankly, from a media audio perspective, uh, I will be ending my time with the lead regarding audio. Um, I love doing shows. As you can tell, this is something that I've been doing for years. I started off doing audio back in 2013, um, with a buddy who was doing interning for a local affiliate here in the Seattle area. Um, and we did shows together. It was called, um, Speed Hump Sports, which is hilarious. Um, we would talk all sports. We did that for almost a year. I then started my own show called Daily Craze in June of 2014. Ironically, we're on that this week. It'll be the eight-year anniversary of when I started that show. And I did that for about six, seven months. And then I started the Hooper's Log in December of 2014, and the rest was history. Um, I've not been able to get very far with this, um, as far as I wanted to go. I've done a ton of amazing things with the Hooper's Log over the last five, six years with the lead, um, having my own producer, uh, interviewing, uh, uh, media members from ESPN, uh, other small places doing spots for them. Um, 
interviewing NBA players, interviewing old uh, players, uh, interviewing college players, interviewing, I mean, you name it. I've, man, I've been able to do pretty much everything I've always wanted to do in an audio space without getting paid. I'm at the point now where it has nothing to do with the lead and their ability to uh, incentivize people. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with any of that because I believe that the lead is going to grow and get bigger and get better because the people who are running it behind it, I've known them since they started because I've been here since before them. And the direction of which this place is going is fantastic, which is why I'm not leaving because I'm staying on uh, Spurs lead, talking about the San Antonio Spurs, which again, you're going to see more and more content of that once I'm done with the audio side. But one of the things that is going on with me is I don't have time to do this anymore. I've got a two-year-old. My job is highly demanding um, of my time, and I don't have time to be thinking about shows and episodes and watching games, and I just just don't have time. I have all these things I want to do. I've fallen more and more in love with baseball. Um, I live really out in the middle of nowhere where I don't have time to really sit and do much. I'm I'm always working on projects. I'm always doing things outside. Um, I, I have other things going on in my life, and and the frustrating part about it is, is that the game from so many different angles. I, I I I went to a birthday party on Friday. I went to a Mariners game. It was a birthday party, and we were at the bar before going into the stadium. And a bunch of the people that I went to the party with, there were a bunch of ex media members who used to do media for sports, etc. And they all jumped out of it because of different reasons, right? And they asked me, like, you still doing your show for basketball? I said, I'm ending it in about a month. And they said, well, that's a shame. Why are you doing that? And I said, well, it's nothing to do with the people I work with. Nothing to do with that. They're great. They have been so flexible with me. They've given me warnings on all the things I've I've dove into regarding politics or anything or any of my opinions, etc. But the problem that I'm running into is that it's from so many different angles. The players, the way they play the game, it's not their fault that the refs are changing the game to the degree in which it is now. Um, the referees have to go by an agenda that the NBA wants to protect players, etc., and investments of things of that nature in regards to injuries or health or anything like that. They've got to call the game the way they have to call it. The replay system is not very good. Um, it's inconsistent as all get up. And the, 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 the pace of play is horrible. Uh, the announcers on the national level, I have, again, I have no idea on a local level. I, I watch the Portland Trailblazers local announcers. They're not great. I don't know if Kevin Calabro is still there, but I don't watch enough to know if he is. But ever since he left, it's not very good. Um, from a national perspective, all of the games feel like you're just watching like I feel like you feel like I feel like you're watching like a like a like a like a ticker at the bottom of the sport and you're watching like a gambling show. I, I don't feel like you're watching a live action sport anymore. The playoffs are obviously a different story, but during a vast majority of the season, that's what it feels like. Uh, I feel like when you watch the games, especially even in the playoffs, I've noticed it's more and more and more of a three-point contest. There is less and less and less incentive to really play the game the way you want to play it to make it as uh, in-depth and as um, and as overall uh, thick with layers as possible. There's no incentive to do that anymore. The goal is to score 
as many points, obviously to score as many points as you can to win the game, but the difference is, is there's no intricate layout for the game to be shown so that ultimately the game can evolve and there can be different layers to go and how you can attack the basket. And with the way the refs are calling the game now and with the way the players are attacking and approaching the game, there is no area for the game to change and grow. And on top of that, the sport, when you look at how it is and where it is right now, I feel like there's an evolution that is needed for the sport in regards to the three-point line, maybe adding a four-point line, maybe making the, the the court wider, maybe finding ways to you know change the basket height, change the ball type. There needs to be something to change the sport to make it more entertaining. You've got games that are, for the vast majority, 10 to 12-point leads most of the time, if not more, and they become incredibly hard to watch. And I don't say this because I don't like the NBA or I don't like basketball. I love basketball. But that's the other part of this. Whenever I'm watching a game now, because again, the athletes on the court are so incredible. The players are so good. The sport is, at from an athletic perspective, the highest it's ever been. There's no back backdoor pass anymore. There's no extra effort pass. There's no extra effort play that makes the sport better. It's either there's a wide open pass that's obvious or there's a like no angle to the hoop at all because the guys are so much better athletically, they're so much more attentive to the passing lanes and the game becomes more and more and more of an isolation process and a three-point contest than it has ever before because they can't find the angle to pass the ball at. They either have to slip it through a perfect window for a pass or they have to time it exactly right, or else they're not going to do it. They're just going to play out on the perimeter, play a play a very, very, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, not deep, very shallow version of basketball, because it's not their fault. It's the way the refs are calling the game, it's how athletic the players are getting, and it's the lack of evolution of the sport, and the fact that the way they, the way that they run up schemes during games, it's very like, it's very lackluster, in my opinion. It has nothing to do with coaches and how, how they are and what they are. The sport just doesn't have as much depth as it used to. And for me, as somebody who's been watching this sport for years and years and years and years and years, and who's covered it for as long as I have, I've seen a massive trend since the 2015-2016 season when it really was one of the best years in NBA history. Golden State going 73-9. and a bunch of other players and a bunch of other teams and guys retiring from the sport in their last year. Kobe Bryant's 60-point game. Uh, the Cavs coming back down 3-1. There was a lot, and the game was at such a good spot at that time. And with the evolution of the sport and the change of the sport and everything that's changed since then, on top of the fact the super teams didn't help, COVID, you know, I'll, I'll, say, it, I'll say it, but the politics that have crept into the sport more and more. And it's not just the NBA, it's all sports. But the politics that have crept in so hard to the point where they've made it either you're with us or against us, and if you're not with us, we hate you. Like, the way they've made it so divisive, it is very, very hard to talk only about the game when even on, even during broadcasts on a national level, they want to bring up these divisive topics. When I don't care. And it has nothing to do with who I, what I, how I believe in stuff. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do 
with the fact that it's all-encompassing. It's that, but it's also the game itself. It's 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 the way it's being promoted. It's the way they're they're now more incentivizing it towards being gambling and how they're really trying to push the gambling instead of pushing the culture. I made my show based upon the ethics of the culture of the sport. And the NBA has drastically run away from its cultural incentives regarding regarding game. Everything off the court, they're trying to grab and get you to believe in and do. And that is totally fine, and I have nothing and no qualms against it, even though I have a different difference of opinion for a vast majority of it. It is not, neither my place nor my area to judge on that in, on that ideology. But my point being is, is that overall, when it comes to the game between the lines, there is a big change that needs to start occurring with the sport. Because there are so many things that are so unwatchable with this sport right now from an overall perspective for a vast majority of the year. Even during May, which is the best time of year for basketball, was heavily unwatchable from a casual fan perspective. And that's brutal. That is brutal. And so there's a lot of changes that need to happen. I've brought them up over the years. I've talked about them. I talked about them just now, telling you I'm ending the Hooper's Log. But I'm not going somewhere else to do anything else either. I don't have time. I don't have any of this. I don't, I don't, I just, I just, I just I don't have time. I don't. I don't understand or know what I can do to ultimately make things better. I'm just, I'm at a time in my life where ultimately I've got to move on. I've been doing this for almost a decade and I'm still going to be on the lead. I'm still going to talk about the Spurs. I'm still going to bring those things up and talk about those, you know, on this date in Spurs history and talk about their development as a team and talk about Coach Popovich and how great he is and, and all these things. But from an audio perspective, I'm so done with that portion of the media because I have put in my time. I have been able to do everything I've wanted to do and I have never been found out outside of CLNS or the lead by anybody else to help incentivize and do something where I can get paid, not just getting paid, but doing this for a living. I've never been picked up. It's almost been a decade. I've been around the block. I've seen the block. I know the game. I know the structure. I know it all. I've seen it all. I've done ads. I've done ad spaces. I've done all these things. To not take the next step with this journey to be where I am, eight years, nine years in, to be honest with you, it's kind of like when you watch Shark Tank. If you haven't made money within a certain time period, sometimes you just, you just got to go behind the barn and shoot it. And that's what I'm doing with my audio career. I've done it for nine years. I haven't made a dime. Outside of a couple of instances, I haven't made a dime. There's no incentive for me to keep going. I've got a family. I've got a mortgage. I've got, I've got a savings. I've got all these things I'm going through in my life. I've got a great job. I've got a great life. This is taking up time. And that's why it's going away. It's been an incredible journey. I'm going to do the NBA Finals with you, and I'm going to give you a final episode on episode 40. I plan on doing three more episodes, 
breaking down his game game one and two for episode 38. Episode 39 will be an episode where I talk about you know where we're at in the finals, if not if it's pretty much over. And then episode 40, we will recap the entire NBA Finals, end the show, and we're done. So there's that. Thank you again for listening, everybody. I will see you next week. We'll talk about Game 1 and 2 of the NBA Finals and recap that for you, and we'll give you a great one heck of a send-off moving forward. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.